Good morning, I'm Anna Palmer, and welcome to The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchable News. It's Monday, September 25th, 2023. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, what's happening in both chambers ahead of Saturday's government funding deadline. Number two, Senator Robert Menendez digs in. And number three, the latest on House Republicans' efforts to impeach President Joe Biden. All right, let's get into it. It is going to be a very important week uh, in Washington. I know we say that and have continued to say that uh, the past couple of weeks, but there is no doubt it is going to be a huge week uh, here in the nation's capital. The federal government will shut down midnight Saturday, technically, barring any action from Congress. So you're going to be hearing a ton from us this week on the podcast through our three newsletters every single day. Uh, And wanted to just flag, if you sign up for premium, you're going to be getting our text alerts as well, which have typically been beating the competition on these critical issues of governance and legislating. You can go to our website at punchbowl.news and check out the premium offers. So let's start here. The U.S.-Mexico border, it's a mess. President Joe Biden is facing numerous questions about his age, stamina, and ability to do his job. His poll numbers continue to be terrible. Hunter Biden, his son, has been indicted with more charges possible. And House GOP leaders have launched an impeachment inquiry. Yet, despite all of those things, which should help Republicans feel very good about their chances in 2024, House Republicans are about to pick a slew of political flights that they simply can't win, as well as causing an expected government shutdown. Now, if that happens, it is handing Biden a golden opportunity to portray the GOP as incapable and or unwilling of governing. We'll also note here that former President Donald Trump has also called for a shutdown. So that's a twofer for the White House. This is precisely what Speaker Kevin McCarthy has been trying to drill into the minds of House Republicans, especially hardline conservatives who refuse to support any stopgap funding bill. So now that I've set the backdrop here, right, of the kind of situation, the political dynamics that McCarthy and Republicans on Capitol Hill find themselves. We are going to talk through kind of what's actually happening. So the House and Senate are both out today for the Yom Kippur holiday. Have an easy fast. If you are observing, both chambers will return Tuesday. So let's start with the Senate. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has already begun prepping a shell bill that will carry a stopgap funding measure, including both Ukraine aid and disaster relief money. What's interesting here is you have Democrats and Republicans working together. Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is involved in these talks to get it across the finish line as our White House and appropes committee staffers. Senate leadership aides caution, of course, the two sides aren't yet finished or close to a deal. Senators on both sides have said they want the stopgap bill to last through at least early December. McCarthy's CR proposals have only run through early to mid-November. So, as always, the process matters in the Senate. It is going to take several days for the Senate to process a final bill. It is possible the Senate won't send it to the House until Saturday. Again, as I noted above, the shutdown deadline or even later. 
This is because Senator Rand Paul, the Republican from Kentucky, has already said he won't give consent to speeding up the floor process if the CR includes funding for Ukraine. Other Republicans may object too. So that's what's happening over in the Senate. Let's shift to the House. House GOP leaders have lined up four appropriations bills this week. That includes defense, agriculture, state foreign ops, and homeland security. But first, and this is a big first, they have to pass a complicated rule to allow this to happen. On a GOP member call Saturday, McCarthy and senior leaders made clear that they want everyone engaged in the process. Why? Because without them, they can't pass these bills. And House Majority Whip Tom Emmer anxious not to be embarrassed again, urged Republicans to tell him if they plan to vote against, the again, this complicated rule that is going to control this entire process. So here's the issues. Republicans have a lot of challenges when it comes to this. There's deep skepticism in the House Republican conference that they can pass any spending bills. Some in the leadership think they'll only be able to pass the defense bill but there's really no unanimity on that viewpoint. And as we've said several times during the last week, passing these party line spending bills doesn't help avert Sunday's looming shutdown. The speaker has said repeatedly that he wants to pass a stopgap package to give the House GOP time time to pass additional spending bills. So this would, in theory, allow the House to get into a negotiation with the Senate over the entirety of fiscal year 2024 spending. Now, on that call Saturday, McCarthy floated a 30-day CR, which would keep government funded until October 31st. He also floated a 45-day CR, which would last until November 15th. A longer CR makes more sense, given the absolute Herculean task of reconciling the Senate's spending bills with the House's. But of course, it's entirely possible the Senate sends the House a 60-day CR or longer and tries to jam them. McCarthy plans to try to pass his short-term funding bill, 30 or 45 days, with the H.R. 2 border security bill and possibly a debt commission toward the end of the week after the other four bills. By that time, the Senate could be sending McCarthy its version of the CR. The question continues. How does McCarthy handle this? If McCarthy doesn't pass or put the Senate pass CR on the floor, there will be a shutdown. Moderate Republicans who belong to the Problem Solvers Caucus are already talking about endorsing a compromise proposal to end any shutdown by signing onto a Democratic discharge petition. Six Republicans are needed to hand control of the Florida Democrats, who could then pass a funding bill. Of course, McCarthy doesn't want this to happen, but he probably wouldn't mind keeping his hands clean here. It's too late to avoid a shutdown, but a bill to reopen government agencies can be enacted this way. One more thing, we have a handy link from the Congressional Research Service in this morning's AM newsletter. It shows the current estimate of federal employees by state and congressional district. All right, let's go on to the number two story of the morning. Senator Bob Menendez, the Democrat from New Jersey, is expected to host a press conference later today in which he'll remain defiant in the face of calls for his resignation following his indictment. Again, this is the second time, on bribery and corruption charges. The 69-year-old Menendez may even announce he'll run again in 2024, 
something that Garden State Democrats dread with state legislative elections less than two months away. Menendez's main argument in the wake of Friday's stunning federal indictment is that he's being targeted by both federal prosecutors and lawmakers pushing him to resign because, in his words, he's a prominent Latino. Menendez has long called himself as the highest, highest ranking Latino in the U.S. Congress. A little fact check here, Representative Pete Aguilar, the Democrat from California, and now the number three House Democrat, holds that title. In a statement Friday responding to calls for his resignation, Menendez said in part, quote, it is not lost on me how quickly some are rushing to judge a Latino and push him out of his seat. But it's important to note here, Latino Democrats have been glaringly silent on Menendez's indictment, refusing to back him up on that argument. We couldn't find one member of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus beyond Representative Robert Menendez, the senator's son, who's backing the elder Menendez. According to one senior Latino lawmaker, many don't feel the urgency to defend Menendez given the egregiousness of the charges. The indictment, for example, includes photos of hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash stuffed in envelopes and clothes, as well as gold bars allegedly given to Menendez and his wife by three businessmen seeking his help. And Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Democrat from New York, has called on Menendez to step down and push back on his claim of ethnic targeting. She said, quote, as a Latino, there are absolutely ways in which there is systemic bias. But I think what is here in this indictment is quite clear. The Justice Department has declined to comment on Menendez's claim. Menendez's Menendez, his wife, Nadine, and their three co-defendants will be arraigned on Wednesday. Also important to note, several prominent New Jersey politicians, including Governor Phil Murphy, leaders of the state legislature, the New Jersey Democratic Party chair, and nearly all of the New Jersey Democratic House delegation have said Menendez should step down. All right, let's move on to the number three story of the morning. Impeachment tracker, our very own Max Cohen, continues to cover every twist and turn here about what is happening on the impeachment front. We've got some news. The Justice Department is now offering to allow four key officials involved in the Hunter Biden criminal investigation to testify before the House Judiciary Committee. This is in response to Chair Jim Jordan's recent subpoenas. In a September 22nd letter, the DOJ's Legislative Affairs Chief reiterated the department's proposal to make Special Counsel David Weiss, who, of course, also helmed the Hunter Biden probe as U.S. Attorney for Delaware, available in the near term to address the subject of his authority. House Republicans have pointed to testimony from IRS whistleblowers who claim Weiss said he lacked the final say to bring charges against Hunter Biden. Weiss, for his part, has stated in correspondence to lawmakers that he had full authority to carry out that probe. A plea agreement between Hunter Biden and the Justice Department, which was heavily criticized by GOP lawmakers, fell apart in late July. The younger Biden was indicted on felony gun charges on September 14th, and more charges may follow. So this is going to be a very interesting thing to watch, uh, particularly when it comes to this ongoing effort by Republicans to probe into a possible uh, impeaching President Joe Biden. 
This is not the only official that they are now saying that they are willing to give up and or allow to have testify before the committee. Um, also, interestingly enough, uh, it's worth noting the House Oversight Committee is going to be holding its first hearing Thursday related to the impeachment inquiry. And House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer is framing the hearing as a chance to, quote, establish the basis for the impeachment inquiry. But we don't expect any major revelations here. Uh, Comer has described the hearing to reporters as a refresher course of what the panel has compiled so far in its probe into the financial dealings of the president's family members. And while the panel has uncovered information about shell companies connected to Hunter and James Biden, the son and brother of the president, Republican investigators still haven't established any wrongdoing on the part of Joe Biden. With that, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Also want to give a shout out to the Black Women's Congressional Alliance. Punchbowl News served as the media partner on Sunday for its second annual brunch at the British Ambassador's residence, honoring black women in politics, advocacy, and communications. Uh, Shwanza Goff, Assistant President to Joe Biden and White House Legislative Affairs Director, received the Spirit of BWCA Award. Also given awards at the Sunday brunch, Michelle Miller, CBS News correspondent and co-host of CBS Saturday Morning, Simone Sanders Townsend, host of Simone on MSNBC, Brianna Frias, Director of Communications to the Assistant Democratic Leader, James Clyburn, and Representative Lauren Underwood, the Democrat from Illinois. With that, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. If you like The Daily Punch, Go to our website, sign up for our free morning newsletter. It'll hit your inbox before 6 a.m. Monday through Friday. You can do that at punchbowl.news. If you like the podcast, please share it on social media. Give us a rating and a review. It's the best way for folks to find out about us. Have a great day and stay safe.